maybe it's not so good, being called into the principal's office. Do you ever get called into the principal's office? How was that experience? How was that memory? Maybe it's not the principal's office. Maybe it's a, a boss at work. Maybe you got called into the boss's office. What's it feel like when you get that email that says, why don't you come into my office this afternoon? How's that feel? Maybe you're a, a private in the military. The captain sends word. He wants to see you in his quarters. How does, how does that feel? Are these moments that in our lives, in our society, we think, this sounds like it's going to be a good time. It sounds like this is going to go well. Or do you feel like you're in trouble? The question that I want us to answer this morning, that Matthew is answering for us, when Jesus calls us to himself, what can we expect? What is he like? What will it be like when Jesus calls us to himself and we make our way to his presence, so to speak, go to see him in his office? Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for the opportunity to be here, hear your word read, to pray your word back to you, to sing your word to you, that we might be encouraged in all the ways that we need to be encouraged, that we might be convicted towards repentance in all the ways that we need to have our hearts broken over sin and repent. Would you help us now through the work of your spirit and by the preaching of your word to give us the food that we need in our souls and our minds today? Help us be encouraged to keep being faithful, to keep pursuing righteousness, to keep healing relationships, to keep submitting to earthly authority, to keep doing all the things that you call us to do. Father, in all the ways that we have sinned, that we are persisting in sin, help us repent. Help our hearts be broken over those things. Help us think differently. Help us live differently. Having heard your word and dwelled upon your Son, Jesus Christ. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to begin this morning by just saying we're going to spend a couple of weeks looking at the subject of Jesus being gentle and lowly. Uh, if you haven't picked up one yet, it's not too late. There are books in the back by an author named Dane Ortland. They're free to you called Gentle and Lowly. Uh, we're not preaching Dane's book uh, we are finding some of the passages that Dane has used, and we are using those also to preach. And so you might find his book a helpful accompaniment if you want to continue uh, reading further and explore that and discuss that in your small groups. The first thing I want us to see this morning is that Jesus is, so to speak, I want to be careful because I don't want to bump all into your memories of your principle, but Jesus is, so to speak, in the principal's chair of the universe. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 to 10. Look at a few passages with me, beginning in Ephesians 1, verse 7 through 10. 
and just see where Jesus is in God's order of creation. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, speaking about the salvation that those who trust in Jesus Christ enjoy. In him we have redemption through his, Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, God's purpose in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. At the center of the fullness of time, the center of God's purpose, the center of all things heaven and earth is Jesus Christ. This is how Paul talks about Jesus, the center of everything. Go to your right in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verse 17 to 19. Colossians 1, 17 to 19. And he, speaking of Jesus, is before all things. In him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God in him, before all things, in him all things hold together. Jesus is chief in the universe. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Just one more of many that we can see in the New Testament to find similar language. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, just the first part, verse A, for time right now. He is the radiance, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I mean, get this idea of Jesus in your minds. He's the center of the universe. All of God's plans, all of God's purposes are in Jesus Christ. God doesn't have any side purposes. He doesn't have any plan B purposes. He doesn't have anything next to Jesus Christ. It's all by, through, and in Jesus Christ. All the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in Christ. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus isn't just the principal, he's like the superintendent. Did you ever get called to the superintendent's office? I mean, going to the principal's office is one thing, but if you get several calls to the principal's office, you've got to go to the superintendent, right? Jesus is it. There's not an appeals office behind him. There's not like a side door in Jesus' office where we go over to the real authority. Jesus is himself says in Matthew 28, verse 18, before he ascended, all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. There's no one else. It's Christ. So think about what this means for us. Whatever Jesus is, whatever Jesus is like, is at the center of the universe, at the center of all God's plans. Whatever's at the center of Jesus 
is at the center of all God's purposes. It's the center of the center of the office of superintendent in the universe. What's in Christ? What's he like? If Jesus, the superintendent of the universe, the chief, the the king of kings, if he calls me to himself, is that a meeting I should look forward to? Is that a reckoning that I should tremble because I don't know what he's going to do when he hears what I did? What is in the heart of Jesus Christ? What do you think is there? What do you think is the heart of the heart of heart of Christ? What's down in there? What do you think is down there? Now, you might hear this question and go, well, I know the answer because I've seen the title of the sermon. I saw the book. He's gentle and lowly. But I think it's important that we go through the process in Matthew, look at the book of Matthew to get to Matthew chapter 11, understand what it really means for us to think and to see Jesus as gentle and lowly. Because there's two dangers, I think, when we take shortcuts to just go, well, Jesus is gentle and lowly. That's the book cover. That's what we're talking about. Jesus is gentle and lowly. So that's, that's the answer. And, and there's a couple of, of dangers here. One, we end up with a puny Christian radio therapeutic Jesus who never bothers anybody. And his one chief goal in the world, his only, his only goal, his only purpose is to be nice and make sure that he doesn't upset anybody. That's, that's what we mean by gentle and lowly, right? Jesus isn't going to bother anybody. He's not going to ask anything from anybody. He's he doesn't really rule over anything. He's just, he's just kind of there over in the corner being nice and waving. Or, potentially, if we're not careful, it's just easy to not believe it. I don't, I don't think that's what Jesus is really like. I don't think that's what God's really like. In fact, I've read some other parts in the Bible I'm not sure gentle and lowly describes what I think about God and Christ and church and religion altogether. What is Jesus like? I want us to spend some time getting to the heart of Jesus Christ, looking through the book of Matthew toward our passage, Matthew 11. Go back with me, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, look at verses 4 through 12. This is one of those passages where if you just jump into the Bible and you go, well, I know what Jesus is like. He's gentle and lowly. We get to chapter 3 of Matthew and hear how John the Baptist talks about Jesus. And we might go, wait a second. Now I don't know who Jesus is. Now I don't know what Jesus is like. Matthew chapter 3, verse 4 through 12. John the Baptist, the Elijah person of the New Testament, proclaiming the 
coming Messiah. He's a forerunner to Jesus Christ. He's preaching that Christ is coming. Look what happens in Matthew chapter 3, verse 4 through 12, in response to John the Baptist preaching. Matthew 3, 4 through 12. Now John, that's John the Baptist, he wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. And then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river, in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those religious leaders, coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Listen to what John says about Jesus coming. Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will conquer, excuse me, he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff... He will burn with unquenchable fire. Gentle and lowly? There's just one Jesus, and this has got to be him, who baptizes in the Holy Spirit and fire. Before Matthew gives us the heart of Jesus in Matthew 11, see what is in the hand of Jesus in Matthew 3. John gives us a, a picture Jesus as the farmer in the barn with the winnowing fork in his hand, like a pitchfork in his hand, sifting through the wheat. And he's using it to raise up and find and collect the harvest and separate it from the chaff, which is useless. And he throws it, John says, he throws it, he casts it into the unquenchable fire. Now, John could have just said fire. He could have just said he, the farmer throws it into the fire, but he had to throw in there unquenchable fire. Just to add a clue, another helpful clue that John's not just talking about earthly farming, but about spiritual reality, that John is saying that Jesus is coming to sift through those who are going to heaven and those who are going to hell. Jesus doesn't seem to be lowly in John's eyes if we come to him in the presumption that we don't need him doing a service to him by coming to be baptized. Jesus doesn't seem so gentle and lowly if in presumption we say, well, I'm a good person. I don't really need saving like the Pharisees. There's really nothing wrong with me. But I, I will come to him and I will get into the water. I'll, I'll come to this gentle and lowly Jesus and give him some homage. Jesus is gentle. He's lowly. He's not going to bother me. no. See in Jesus' hand a winnowing fork. His life and his ministry is a constant sifting through people, discerning and proving who is really his and who is to be cast away forever. 
come to Jesus in presumption of your own righteousness, and you will not find Him gentle and lowly. You will find Him casting aside like chaff into the unquenchable fire. Go now to our chapter, Matthew 11, and pick up in chapter 11, verse 20. I'm so thankful that in his book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Orland doesn't skip over this section. It's helpful. It's very important. We're going to give it a considerable more amount of attention than he does, not saying that he thinks wrong. But for context, for Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 to 24, what's happening from Matthew chapter 3, which we just read, and Matthew chapter 11? We see Jesus be baptized, Matthew chapter 4. We see in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus comes to teach that What we thought was righteousness just by obeying the law outwardly isn't actually righteousness if we're not right with God in our hearts, if our hearts are full of sin. If you say that you uh, hate your brother, that's like murdering them in your heart, Jesus says. If you have lust towards a woman in your heart, it's like committing adultery with your body, Jesus says. He's tearing down false religious ideas of righteousness And he's teaching that God wants righteousness in the heart. Message that wasn't entirely popular in the moment. In chapter 8, going through chapter 8, 9, and 10, Jesus goes on a tour throughout Judea doing signs and wonders and miracles. In chapter 8, Jesus cleanses a leper who came and touched him. Jesus heals the centurion's servant from a distance. He heals Peter's mother-in-law and many others. In chapter 8, he calls the winds and the seas to calm down. He heals two men with demons. In chapter 9 of Matthew, he heals a paralytic. In chapter 9, Jairus' daughter is raised from the dead. Jesus heals two blind men there. Jesus heals a man who is unable to speak, helping him speak again. Then in chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples to do the very same thing that he had been doing all around Judea, warning them that they might not be received well. Now we pick up in chapter 11. After going around doing these miracles and these signs, sending his disciples to do the same, chapter 11, when he finished instructing, chapter 11, let's go back to verse 1 for just a moment. When he had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison, so John back from Matthew 3, When he heard about the deeds of Christ, presumably he has not confirmed who Christ is yet, that he's here yet. But when he heard the deeds of Christ, the things that Jesus was doing all around Judea, he sent word by his disciples and he said to Jesus, are you the one who's to come or shall we look for another? So we see now that chapter 11 begins to be about confirming, is Jesus the one? Is the one who's been doing all these signs, is that dovetailing into the one that Matt, that uh, John the Baptist was telling us about. Is he the one, the, the guy running around saying his words are better than Moses in the Sermon on the Mount, the one running around healing and doing miracles? John's asking Jesus, are you the one? And Jesus' short answer is yes. You see what I'm doing? No. What I am doing is uh, the Christ. But then Jesus seems to shift. He begins to denounce the cities. 
For seven chapters, he did miracles. He preached the good news of the kingdom. And then look what he says. Chapter 11, verse 20 to 24. This is Jesus' review of his tour. He'd just been going around Judea doing miracles. This is what he says on the back end. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Listen to that again. Then began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. What Jesus says in verse 21. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Gentle and lowly? Is he? I don't want to take too long But just to make sure that we understand what Jesus is saying, remember Sodom from the book of Genesis. Sodom was that city that was so wicked, could not find even five righteous in it. God destroyed it with fire from heaven in Abraham's sight. No one righteous. God destroyed that city with fire from heaven. And now Jesus is saying in this moment in Matthew 11, all you, all you cities that have just watched me do miracles and healings for the last seven chapters, healing the blind, the lame, the sick, raising the dead, and you still disbelieve in me. You still refuse. It's going to be worse for you than the, on the day of judgment than for Sodom. So we might well say, well, I thought Jesus was gentle and lowly. Is he or is he not? That's the next passage. Matthew 11, verse 25 through 30. Jesus continues, at that time, right then, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise, the, I think that's quote wise, quote understanding, and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And here's Jesus' invitation, verse 28. Come to me. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. We have to understand this passage in light of how the gospel of Matthew gets us there. Let's not be confused by what seems to be two contradictory versions of Jesus. To Bethsaida and to Chorazin, Jesus is the judge and he's wrathful and he's impatient and demanding. But then out of the other side of Jesus' mouth, oh, he's gentle and lowly, you can, you can come to him. If we're not careful, we will do this. We'll, we'll read that Jesus is gentle lowly, but really we'll think, I don't believe it. I don't really think he is gentle and lowly. I think that's just kind of his, that's what he was saying. That's kind of, maybe he's doing some miracles like that, but that's not really who he is because of the winnowing fork and <clears throat> because of what he said about Sodom and Gomorrah and Chorazin and Bethsaiden and, and, and the judgment. He doesn't seem gentle and lowly. He seems more like going to the principal's office or being called into the other room by my dad when he's in a bad mood or your boss. Matthew is showing us, though, not two versions of Jesus that are in competition. This is not kind of Jesus like this and he's like this, and you never know what you're going to get. Matthew is trying to show us through all of those passages that Jesus' heart is gentle and lowly. Matthew was showing us that even when Jesus denounced Chorazin and Bethsaida, it was mournful for Christ to say it. It was sorrowful for Jesus to pronounce woes on those who saw his miracles. They saw it. They saw it. But they did not believe him. And so they must be cast off like the chaff. Instead of the woes challenging the gentleness of Christ, making it seem like Jesus has a split personality, the passage is showing that Jesus' heart was gentle and lowly from the beginning all through Chorazin and Bethsaida, even through the woes in regards to Chorazin and Bethsaida. And it happens the same way in the same order in Matthew chapter 23. Go in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. You might know this passage, the seven woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. It begins over and over, woe to you, woe to you scribes, woe to you hypocrites, woe to you blind guides. And I, I think so often we read this and we think that this is, we kind of get on Jesus' side and we go, yeah, Jesus, you get those hypocrites. You tell them how much you hate them. Let's all fight hypocrisy together. And I, I'm with you, Jesus. That makes me sick. Is that Jesus' heart? How about even the Pharisees? We get this image that Jesus is in our mind because of these woes that Jesus is personally offended by the Pharisees. Like he's got his feelings hurt. Now he's mad at them because they rejected him. Or we might have these pictures in our minds that Jesus is raging against the Pharisees. 
He's fuming with hatred toward them. He can't stand the sight of them. Woe to you, he says over and over and over. But is that Christ? What if when Jesus says woe seven times over and over, he's getting at it like this. He's mourning their rejection of him like the finality at a funeral. Woe to you because you remain in your self-righteousness. Look at Matthew chapter 23, the very next passage following the woes. Matthew 23, just pick up in verse 29 so we get that last woe in there and then watch the transition to chapter 29 verse 37, 23 verse 37. Matthew 23, beginning in verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of the murdered prophets. Fill up then the measure of your prophets. In other words, come after me next. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell. Does that sound familiar? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some who you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakai, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Now, is Jesus happy about this? Is this the moment where Jesus is just thrilled that he finally gets to fume? He finally gets to clench his jaw and shout his anger and really let it out. Is that the whole mood, the whole thought of Jesus Christ? The next passage helps us understand these woes themselves. Matthew 23, verse 37 to 38. In response to those who were rejecting him, see the same flow from Matthew 11. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. Do you see what he just said? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. The ones I just said woe to. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Here's what Jesus says about it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes. In the name of the Lord. Jesus saying, oh, I would have brought you in. Listen to the picture. I would have have gathered you like a mama chicken gets her little chickens back in the coop and brings them back in under her, her, her wings. That's the picture that Jesus is drawing for us about how he came, how he approached, how he invited Bethsaida and Chorazin. 
How he invited all in Jerusalem, even the Pharisees, to come to him, but they would not. And what we are finding is that Jesus is not one way with these people, and then he's kind of another way with, with these people. Rather, Jesus is, he is in himself. He, he is at heart, gentle and lowly. Everywhere he goes, he is who he is. He's not a chameleon. He's not, he's not a shapeshifter from, oh, judgment to Bethsaida, but if you come to me, I'll be nice. He's not controlled by mood swings. The problem is not, as it turns out, that Jesus did not mean what he said when he says that he's gentle and lowly at heart. That's who he is and what he is. And we have this problem back and forth between, well, well, is he gentle and lowly or not? The problem, as it turns out, is he really is gentle and lowly. But Bethsaida and Chorazin refused to come to him. The Pharisees refused to listen to his teaching. So you have these chapters in Matthew chapter 5 all the way up through 10. Jesus doing many signs and wonders. And then he tells Bethsaida and Chorazin, if the things done there, if the things done there were done in Sodom, they would have repented. Then he has teaching from chapters 13 into this passage, verse chapter 22 and 23. And then he's responding to the Pharisees by saying, if you would have listened. You would have listened. Exactly what Jesus told Bethsaida and Chorazin, woe to you. It's like Jesus is standing at the funeral of the Pharisees. The time has gone. They have rejected Christ. They have died and they are in the grave. And Jesus is saying, if you would have listened, I would have brought you in. If you would have listened, I would have brought you in. I came to bring you in. But woe to you, because you wouldn't come. You wouldn't listen. You stayed hard-hearted. Woe to you, Corazine and Bethsaida, because I came gentle and lowly. I came healing. I came preaching good news to the poor. I came raising little girls from the dead, but you couldn't take my words I came and you will find me truly gentle and lowly at heart. Jesus' woes, both to Chorazin and Bethsaida, his woes to the hypocrites is an expression, it's a, it's a denunciation through grief. It's like Jesus attending funerals and wishing it could have been different. How often I would have gathered you. Maybe you're still wondering. Oh, I don't know, is he? I don't know, is Jesus, is, that, is he like really gentle and lowly? I mean, he, that's who he is, and he's, he's mourning the loss of Chorazin and Bethsaida. He's wishing and feeling, his compassion is stirred for those who are rejecting him. But is he really gentle and lowly? Can I really go in that office door and find him? Welcoming me. Or go into Jesus' office 
Jesus has done the miracles. He's been rejected. He's said, I am gentle and lowly at heart. He teaches the parables and he says, woe to you Pharisees, I would have brought you in. And now Matthew continues to teach about the life of Jesus Christ. He says, let me come here. Come here and let me show you Jesus is lowly. He's gentle and lowly in heart. Maybe you have that invitation that you've been setting on in your own heart. Wondering, can I, can I really go in? Can I really come to Christ? Can I really come to God? I feel like I've been called to the principal's office and I don't, I don't know if I can go in to God's presence. I don't know if I can go in to pray to God. I don't know if I can go in to meditate on God. I don't know if I can go in and face Him. I don't know if I'm ready to, to see Jesus and all of His moral purity and holiness. What is Jesus going to do when, when He sees all my sin, that I have hated people around me, that I have used people around me, that I have loved the world more than God, that I have loved stuff and money and my security and my fame and my popularity and men's applause more than God, that I have lived for more. What's he going to say when he sees all those things? To show that Jesus is truly gentle at heart, Matthew continues to tell the story of Jesus all the way to the cross. Along the way to the cross, Jesus rejects opportunities to dominate the world by sheer power alone. He did not come to execute judgment alone. Instead, the wooden handle of the, and the metal of the winnowing fork, which separates all men, so to speak, has become the wood and the nails of the cross. Matthew 26, Jesus is at the table with his disciples and he tells them, I know that you are going to fall away from me tonight. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before he's crucified, Jesus is praying and he's agonizing over God's will to the point of shedding blood in prayer. When the guards come to take Jesus, he could have called down, he tells me, I could, I could call down 12,000 angels, we could end this right now. But he's gentle and lowly in heart, even replacing the guard's ear who was cut off, who had it cut off. When Jesus was on trial, he was gentle and lowly. He remained silent, trusting God. Jesus spat on, mocked, beaten, had a crown of thorns pressed into his brow. He was falsely accused, unjustly tried. But he kept going to the, to the cross on purpose, in gentleness and lowliness. He went and he preached the gospel and he went and did the miracles before Chorazin and Bethsaida, not intending to condemn everyone, but to draw them to himself. But woe to them, for they would not receive him, though he came with signs and wonders, gentle and lowly. Jesus came to the Pharisees even, not first to yell at them, not first to make fun of them, but to present himself to them as the long-awaited Messiah. But woe to them, they would not come to him. They rested in their own self-righteousness instead, even though he came gentle and lowly. And Jesus laid down his life on the cross for sinners in the world 
as the Son of God, at heart, gentle and lonely, even for his enemies, even for those who were crucifying him. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. The cross is Jesus saying, I'm not just kind of gentle and lowly as part of the plan when I'm healing people. I'm not just gentle and lowly putting on an act trying to be a nice guy. Jesus is gentle and lowly at heart. It's who he is. It's not just some of the things that he does some of the time. It's who he is. Listen to the gentleness and the lowliness of Christ prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 1 through 12 that looks forward to Christ being crucified on the cross. Who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, speaking of Christ, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, gentle and lowly, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Speaking about how he went to the cross, and like a sheep that is before its shearers, it's silent, gentle and lowly, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. He raised from the dead. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And out of the anguish of his soul... He shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to become accounted righteous. Sinners become righteous before God. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Would you come to Christ today?
Maybe you don't know God. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ, but you have been drawn to Him. Maybe you have a sense that you're being called to Him. You have that note that says, come and see me. Can you come? He is gentle and lowly, eager to receive you and forgive your sins by His death for you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just that what He has done, but out of what heart He has done it for you. Maybe you've been away from Christ. Maybe like Peter, you've professed that Jesus is the Christ. You've been telling everybody, but along the way you started to to wonder, is is Jesus really okay with me? Is He really going to receive me now that I've followed Him and, and I've messed up so bad? Proverbially, you are sitting outside the office wondering what it's going to be like when you come back to Jesus again. Maybe you should just run from Christ. Maybe just get as far away from him as you can because you can't imagine what that meeting is going to be like when you betrayed him like Peter to a, to a little girl wouldn't even acknowledge that you knew him. Surely Jesus won't receive you back. And to hear this, there's nowhere else to go. At the center of the universe... And all God's plans, the center of all God's purpose is the one chief superintendent over all the universe, upholding the universe by the word of his power. And there is in that office over the universe, Christ crucified for sinners, gentle and lowly at heart, eager to receive repentant sinners. And it's Jesus Christ who said of himself, I am gentle and lowly at heart. Christ did not come to condemn the world, John says. He came the world might be saved through him. It will not be good news for you that Jesus is gentle and lowly until you recognize your sin and the need for a Savior. Without that, we might look at Jesus and think, oh, he's gentle and lowly. Good, he's a pushover. Good, I don't have to worry about him bothering me in my life. Being gentle and lowly is just like, yeah, that, it's like the rest of the people that get stepped on in the world. If you're not very aware of your sin, if you're not realizing that we need a Savior before God on behalf of our sin, you might struggle to believe that he really is gentle and lowly. When we come to Christ saying, help, I need to be healed. How can I be forgiven? How can I be made new? You will find Christ gentle and lowly, crucified for you, risen from the dead with the warmest news in eternity. Stay in your pride, however. Refuse to acknowledge your sin. Find Jesus saying, woe to you. I came in gentleness. I came in lowliness. But you would not receive me. Recognize your sin. Your need for healing. Your need for a savior, for forgiveness. Come and find that at heart Jesus is gentle and lowly. Crucified for you.
For the Lord is good and faithful. He will keep us day and night. We can always run to Jesus. Jesus, strong and kind. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, your word about Christ. We pray that by your spirit, working through your revealed word, you would help us to believe it, that our hearts would be awakened to it, that we would be aware of it, that we would truly see it, that our eyes would see, that our ears would truly hear, that our hearts would come to life, having seen the light of your glory in the face of Christ. Father, help us to wrestle in our own hearts. Do we truly believe that you are gentle and lowly towards sinners? Maybe as you pray just now, you would spend time right now just confessing, God, I have been away from you, and I haven't trusted that I can come back to you. I haven't been trusting that Jesus will actually welcome me back. Maybe you just would repent of that lack of faith today and just confess Jesus is gentle and lowly. He is receiving sinners. He is eager to heal. He is eager to forgive. And he's shown this to us by his death on the cross for our sins. Maybe you just would renew your faith in Christ even now. Maybe it's been some time since you were in fellowship with the Lord. You have been believing and you've been doing Christian things, but you have felt far. Maybe we just pray right now, God, would you give us the true freedom to come to you in prayer, in honesty, in the quiet places of the hidden places of our own hearts and minds. And we would find you there forgiving, renewing, eager to receive sinners. And that by your spirit, you might help us not to remain proud in our own righteousness, but in Jesus' righteousness for us. Father, thank you for your grace in the Lord Jesus Christ that you sent him not to condemn but to save us. Help us believe it and live in it and rejoice and be free today knowing that you are eager to forgive us of our sin. Help us rejoice and enjoy it today and so enjoy you. Father, help us go into this week remembering you, remembering what you are truly like Believing who you really are, what you really intend for sinners, which is salvation. By your grace, unconditional love. Help us walk in it and live in it. Rejoice in it. Help us be generous because of it. 
Help us be friendly because of it. Help us be patient because of it. Because we know you've been gentle and lowly to us. Help us, Father, with these things for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.